0: Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the Preaching Ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Thank you, Cherish. Your grandfather loved that. Your great grandfather loved that. My my dad died when I was 10 years old and my dad used to sing the old rugged cross when we was driving down the road, we were in the back seat in the car, and my dad would drive down the road. I don't remember a whole lot of, about my father, but I do remember him singing the old rugged cross. And then she played that tonight. That was very, very special, very, very neat thing. You know, God brings trials into our lives. And sometimes when, when we face a trial, we think, or a storm in our life, we may be thinking, what in the world did I do to deserve this? You know, why did God allow this to happen to me? In fact, sometimes we can see somebody else going through a particular trial and we say or a particular storm in their life and we say what is God what did they do against God why is God getting them I mean there's obviously uh, obviously uh, they they've done something wrong to 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 get God upset with them about a particular thing A, a couple of was it last year? I was driving down the road. I was heading through Utah and I stopped at a place called uh, Green River, Utah. When I got to Green River, Utah, Stan Mitchell was there, had been stuck there for two days and we were there for about three or four days after that. And so I went there and I thought, what in the world did he do wrong uh, now for God to get him stuck in Green River, Utah? If you've never been to Green River, Utah, good. Uh, for you, you don't want to go to Green River, Utah. If anybody ever says, hey, would you like to go to Green River, Utah, My my response to them would be no uh, it's not it's a place you you drive you go to this place called Seligman, Utah, and you fill up and it says there's nothing going on for the next one hundred and seven miles one hundred and seven miles of absolute nothing and so you hope that you get through there and get to Green River and Green River uh, there's just a little bit more than nothing going on and then you go for about another hundred miles to grand Junction it 's just out in the middle of nowhere, and Stan and kathy and 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 the kids and, and uh, Kim uh, were all stuck out there. And uh, uh, you see why, why did God allow that to happen? You know, sometimes God just wants us to learn to trust Him through the storms. Trust Him through the storms that we're going through, and God will use those storms in our life. We're going lear- to learn some things uh, about that. In, in, we're in Mark chapter, um, Mark chapter 4. We ended last week talking about the fact that Jesus had said, Look, I have, I have placed seeds in your life. The reason I've placed seeds in your life was to produce fruit out of your life. I want you to shine like a light in the midst of darkness. Don't don't take your the 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 fruit that I'm producing in your life and hide it away. It's there in your life to benefit other people. So I have made you I am producing in you I want you to, to I want you to produce for me and I want you to shine as lights in the in a dark room using the fruit that I have given you to produce. That's the whole idea. Now, when he comes to the end of that, he comes to the end of this this lesson, he uses parables to teach this lesson, comes to verse 33 of Mark chapter chapter 4, and it says, and with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. And without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. Now, after he has done this. Now so this is taking time in the morning or maybe even to the late afternoon. He is teaching them things. Teaching them this, this stuff about just using your life. I, I've placed in you, in, into you seeds so you can produce. I want you to shine as light. I want you to produce fruit to, in, other, in, in order to minister to people. Now he does something very unique. He has taught them vocally. He is now going to teach them some things from his own life experience. In fact, he's going to take them into a life uh, experience. He's going to take them into a storm. And there's about five things that I want to point out from this story, but let's read the story first. And if you've studied the Bible at all, uh, you've heard this story, and you may have heard it over and over again, but let's take a look at some lessons from it. It says, uh, and verse 34, and the same day, so after he's been teaching parables all day long and teaching about living for him in the middle of whatever goes on, just living for him, this, the Bible says the same day, when the even was come, he said, Let us pass over onto the other side. He said, Let's, let's get in this boat and let's pass over to the other side. Now look at this. Uh, this is Israel. This is Israel. Jesus is ministering up in an area called Galilee, and and you can see up there at the top, you can see the Sea of Galilee, and Gal- on the Sea of Galilee, you see Capernaum. Capernaum, this is where Jesus is in the synagogue. This is where he is teaching right now. He's teaching in Capernaum. This was sort of his headquarters uh, after he grew up. Uh, He's sort of, this is where Simon Peter lived. And a lot of the stories you hear about Jesus in the synagogue take place there in Capernaum. This is Magdala, where Mary came from. Uh, He's in Capernaum. He's Now, he's been teaching there all day long and he says to his disciples, we're going to get into, uh, we're going to get into a boat and we're going to go across. They're heading, they're going to head down to this place called Gennesaret. And so they're going to go right down into the middle of the sea. And I want you to see uh, where they were on the sea. And so uh, this is the Sea of Galilee. You can see it's a huge, it's a huge uh, li- lake. I mean, it's, it's not like a little tiny lake. This is a huge mammoth. A sea, and so it's called uh, the Sea of Galilee. I don't know if that's the only picture we have. Okay, so, uh, so th- th- this is where he is. I want you to get that picture in your mind. They're going to ride through the middle of the sea, and he says, hey, let's go. It's, it's getting nighttime, and, je- and, and Jesus says, hey, let's right now cross the sea. The problem is in the Sea of Galilee oftentimes had many storms. Now, God, Jesus, being God in in human flesh, knew the storm was coming. He knew what was going to take place, but let's take a look and see what happens. The Bible says, in the same day when the evening was come, he said, let us pass over to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they said, you're gone. We're going to be alone with Jesus. They took him even as he was in the ship. And I think that's important. There's a couple of statements that are just really important. The Bible says, and there, and there were with him other little ships. I think that's important as well. Verse 37, and there arose a great storm of wind. Now Jesus told him, get in the boat and let's go to the other side. And there's now the storm takes place. Did Jesus know there was going to be a storm? Go ahead. Yes, he knew there was going to be a storm. He knew all this was going to take place. And yet he tells him to get in a boat and go over into the storm. He says, uh, uh, and, verse, uh, and there arose a great storm, and the waves beat on the ship, so that it was now full. I mean, the water is coming into the boat. It's a scary situation. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. Now, this wasn't a great big boat. It's not a yacht. This is just the, the backside of the boat. He's there laying down on a pillow, and his disciples are all rowing, trying to save their lives. He's asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and he rebuked the wind, and he said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. You know, sometimes it's worth going through the storm to watch God deliver you from the storm. Can you imagine being there? I wouldn't wanted to be there at the beginning of this story. But, oh, I would love to have been there right at the end when he said, peace be still, and everything calms. And just look at him in amazement the bible says and he said unto them why are you so fearful well there was some water coming into the boat and it was we were sinking and you're just back there sleeping the bible says how is it that you have no faith fear is the opposite of faith and they feared exceedingly that is They grew in in their respect for him. That's what the idea is. They feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Father, I pray you'll help me to communicate what manner of man you are. And Father, help us to see some things that are really important tonight from this passage of Scripture that we might leave here just convinced that you've got it all under control And Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We go through trials in our life, or we go through storms in our life, and again, oftentimes we'll beat up ourselves, or we'll watch somebody else go through a storm, and we'll say, well, I wonder what they were doing wrong, or may they deserve that, or it's about time God got them. Uh, we go through storms in our life, and we say, God, what did I do wrong? Uh, search me, and try me, and show me if there's any wicked thing in me. What in the world am I doing? And yet God may just be doing something in your life, uh, in through a... particular trial through a particular storm because he is preparing you to do something for someone else later on down the road. I I mentioned at the very beginning uh, uh, that my dad died when I was 10 years old when I, and I, I, I remember saying, God, why are you letting that happen? I can remember laying in bed at night as a 10 year old boy saying, God, God, just if, if you're not going to bring my daddy back, praying that God would bring my daddy back, and praying and saying, God, if you're not going to take, if you're not going to let my dad be alive, then just I want to die. I just want to go to heaven. I just don't want to be here. I can remember crying like that and wondering what God was doing. I can remember when, uh, when, when I, I got in trouble or got beat up, I, I would think, well, I want to talk to my dad, but there was no dad to talk to. I didn't understand it back then, but one day when I was, when I was about 38 years old, I walked through those back doors. In fact, where those two pillars are used to be the back of the auditorium. I walked out of the back of that auditorium, and over to my left, there was a couch And I was turning to the right because there was a reception, a wedding reception that was going on in the back. And I turned to my left and I saw a a boy sitting there on the couch. And he was an angry young man. He was probably, he was 12 years old. He was angry and he was upset. And I I looked at him and I said, hey, are you going to come back here to the back? He said, no. And I said, hey, well, where's your mom and dad? He looked up at me and he said, My dad's dead. And my heart went out to him. And I went to where he was and I sat down next to him. And I said, uh, well, tell me about it. He said, why should I tell you about it? I said, how old are you? He said, 12. I said, uh, my dad died when I was 10. You know what happened? All of a sudden that kid looked up at me and began to melt. And he said, Really? I said, yeah, it's a horrible thing to lose your dad, isn't it? He said, nobody understands. And I said, I do. And I was able to sit and talk to that young man. I would never, Steve, have been able to have that conversation with him if my dad had not been taken when I was 10 years old. God prepared me through that particular trial to to be able to minister to a young man that I I wouldn't have met for many, many years. And I can't tell you how many times similar situations have happened like that in my life. Look, whatever you are, and whoever you are, and whatever it is about you that is about you, that makes you who you are, God did that. Because he wanted you to be able to use that to touch somebody else's life. I'm Lebanese. I meet somebody from the Mideast. East. Doesn't matter where they're from. They say, and I'll, I'll look at them. And say, hey, where are you from? They'll say. They'll look at me like, Why are you asking? They got the brown, bushy eyebrows that I have, but my but I get them shaved off, Uh, and they have they have the dark eyes, and you can just tell. I can always tell if somebody is from a Mediterranean country, and I and I and I I begin and I say, hey, and if they've got an accent, I say, hey, my dad came from Beirut. Wow, really? Yes, and now I've got a a common bond. God made let me be Lebanese. uh, like a quarter, uh, so that I can say, I'm, I'm Lebanese. I meet somebody from Italy, and I say, hey, my grandmother was full-blooded Italian. Really? And uh, wants, want to come over for some spaghetti? And uh, now I've got a bond, you know, with, uh, with, with somebody. Um, somebody says they're from Pennsylvania. I say, hey, I'm from Pennsylvania. Uh, somebody says, hey, I'm from, I, I was in the southwest. I say, everything about me, God made me so I could say to you. I was. Sitting to a, talking to a, a guy uh, back in the back one day, a black guy was, had come in, was visiting the church, and he said, you don't know what it's like to be, to be, uh, uh to be, uh, uh spoken to nasty because you're of a different race I said oh I don't I said when I was a kid this is what happened to me my they, people would find out that my dad was Lebanese I was called a camel jockey I was called a uh, I was called a raghead uh, I, I that's th- these were slurs that were given toward toward me he said, really? I said, yeah. I said, and then he told me what he was called. And I said, I said, you know what? We all have bad things happen to us in the back. God allowed the, me to be who I am. You understand? What I'm saying is God's allowed you to be who you are. And God's allowed you to experience what you've experienced so that next time you meet somebody broken down, stand in Green River, you can say, I understand. And you'll be able to relate to them and show them and talk to them. I'm telling you, you things don't happen to us by accident if you're a child of God God knew you were going to be saved before you were saved and God molded and shaped your life to make you who you are so that you wherever you go you can shine so that wherever whatever happens in your life it will be for your benefit and that is what's taking place here After he's talked to them about, look, I've planted in you, I've put in you, I want you to produce, he said, let's go over to the other side, knowing there was going to be a storm. You need to understand a couple of things. I I like this. He said, look, it's time to pass over. There's a time to pass over. There's a time when God says, okay, now it's time to, to, to learn the lessons practically that I have for you. Tonight, we heard a missionary tell, tell us of where he's serving. Gary Keck he said 25 years he's been coming here for like 31 years uh, Gary Keck uh, uh, was is a missionary out of a church that was started by a very dear friend of mine named Bob and Mike Gass. the two brothers started a church in Medford, Oregon at the same time that we started a church here and we were friends for years and Gary Keck was the first church uh, first missionary out of their church and the first place he came uh, when he was starting to, to raise money was to Las Vegas or one of the very first places. Uh, But there was a time that Gary Keck, him and his wife Verda came here and they said, we just feel like why why are you going to Papua New Guinea? We just feel like God wants us to go. There's a time where God says it's time for you to go. They uh, Jesus led them to Passover. Jesus led them and said, hey, it's time for you to go. Listen, before you make a move, make sure God is leading you to go where where, where you're going, because if you know that God is going, he's going to go with you. When, 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 when you obey Jesus, he'll be with you. He didn't say, go in the boat, and go by yourself, and everything's going to be fine. He, he said, let us get into the boat. He went, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, he said to the church, when he established the church, he didn't say, okay, I'm going to heaven, you go, you're on your own. He said in Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen 19, 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the, of the world. Amen. I'm with you always. I mean, I'm, the, I, uh, oftentimes it's, uh, uh, for English sake, people will add the, the S on there, but it's not in The original "I am with you always" is the is the idea that I am with you in every way I can be with you. It's not that He's never going to leave us or forsake us, but the idea here is very simply: no matter what no matter where you are, no matter what way you are in, I am in that way with you. What a wonderful promise! I'm having difficulty physically. I'm in there with you. I'm having difficult fi- t- difficulty financially. I'm in there with you. I'm, I'm in there with you. Jesus said, look, here it is. I, I want you to shine his light. And I have a plan. And, I'm, and this is what my plan is. I want you to get in the boat. I'm going to go with you in the boat. And I'm going to experience some things with you tonight that you don't know about, but I know all about them. And if you'll do what I tell you to do, I will be with you. Jesus has got a plan. By the way, that tells us this, that if Jesus is one who plans, then you ought to have a plan. Life should have a plan so that you can be effective for God. Jesus said, here's the deal. We're going to get in this boat. We're all going to go together. And he knows where he's going. He's going to go to Gennesaret, and he's going to meet a demon-possessed man there. And, and we'll see that some time from now. Uh, he's going to meet a demon-possessed man after they go through a night of storms, and, and they think they're going to die, and learning to trust God in the midst of storms. They come to the other side, and they're greeted by a man who has a multiplicity of demons inside of him. I mean, Jesus is just leading them right into the darkness so that they can learn again to shine. So, but, but he had a plan, and the fact of the matter is we need to have a plan. Know this when you're going to pass over, so that others can arrange their life. It's, imp- it's important for those who you minister to to understand who you are, what you're doing, and they can follow your lead. Jesus had a plan. Jesus said, we're going over, and I want you to come, and you get to get in the boat, and I'm going to go with you. If we're going to be effective, we need to get in on God's plan for our life. So number one, there's a time for you to pass over. Number two, I think this is very interesting. There's a time for you and me always to be alone with the Lord. Look what it says. He says, let us pass over to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, everybody didn't get in the boat. There was no room for them in the boat. The Bible says, when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was, into the ship. They said, look, here's the deal. We're going to get away with Jesus. Getting away with Jesus is something that we should look forward to. Sometimes we talk about prayer, we talk about it as though it is just an obligation. And frankly, there are times when I'm praying and it is just an obligation. I'm doing it because I know this is what I'm supposed to do. But God wants us to enjoy time with Him. I would hate it if my if my uh, uh, my any of my kids said to their children, "Hey, you're going to have to spend time at Grandpa's today." And they say, "Oh no! Oh, we're at Grandpa! Oh, we're going to have to spend time with Grandpa." My kids don't say that. My grandkids say, like I had I had uh, I had four of them over there this afternoon with my, with my wife and, uh, and then one of them left. The other three were saying, can we please stay? Can we please stay? Can we please stay? That's because they know I'll feed them ice cream uh, and I'll do anything for them. Because, but, the, but the fact of the matter is they just want to be around me. Man, there's, everyone needs to get alone with Jesus. If you are too busy to spend time alone with Jesus, then you are just too busy. You are just too busy. You need that time alone. There, there, it's, it's, uh, the, Bible, the Bible says they sent everyone away. They sent everyone away. Years ago, I decided I was going to get up early in the morning because that was the only time I was going to have to be alone. When you're a uh, when you're a pastor, you're busy. When you're a pastor with five children, you're even busier. I mean, and and there's just there's only one time of the day that I know that nobody is going to be bothering me, and that's like early, early in the morning. So I get up early. I get up between five and six o'clock. I think I got up late this morning. I got up about six uh, because I overate. Two, I overate last night, went out with the staff, and, and it's just it was my excuse to pig out. And I, I confessed my gluttony all night long and was tired when I got up. And so I got up like about, I, it was like two minutes. It was 5.58, and I thought, I've got to get up. I, I want to spend time with Jesus. In fact, I thought, I've got to spend time with Jesus. I, we, we should have that desire to want to spend time with the Lord. You like to spend time alone with people you love. You just like to. I like like to spend time with a lot of people. I like to minister to people. I like to interact with people. But I like to spend time just alone with Anna. And here's why. I love Anna. I love just to spend time alone with her. About, I think about five years ago, I took Jonathan and Trey out to Pennsylvania for a week. And we were on, we were on our, we have a, 10 acres of property out there, and we have a, a little cabin. My wife inherited um, my wife inherited this piece of property, and over about a 15-year period, we built this massive, massive cabin that's like uh, 32 feet long and 15 foot wide. And it's massive, and uh, 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 it does have indoor plumbing. Um, uh, I, I feel it somewhat like Jed Clampett when I, when I go back to, to the home place. Anyway, it's um, it's a neat little place. We like to get away. Well, I, I brought the, them out, and th- they spent the week out there playing um, in the, uh, uh, and having a good time. We just, we just had a good time walking through the woods and having a great time. We were getting ready to leave, and uh, I, we're, flying, we're driving back to Detroit. We always fly from Detroit uh, back to Las Vegas because it's a direct flight. So we drove to Detroit, uh, and we were about to fly back, and, uh, and somehow... Uh, Lincoln found out that the following week I was going to be alone with, with Anna and that I had another week of vacation. And I said, and, uh, and Lincoln said, you have another week of vacation? And Trey said, you do? I said, yes, I do. He said, I'm sorry, it wasn't Lincoln. It, it was, it was uh, Trey and it was Jonathan. And Jonathan was about 14 and Trey was about nine. And I said, uh, they said, They said, what are you doing? I said, I'm taking your grandmother, and we're going up to Colorado. He said, you're going up to Colorado? Can we come with you? And I said, no. (laughs) He said, said, what are you going to do? I said, just grandma and me, and we're just going to be alone for a week. He said, why would you want to do that? (laughs) I think sometimes Christians think that about spending time with the Lord. You know, we're, we, want to be, I, we should want to be alone with the Lord. We should, we, we, we should desire Him. What do you do when you're alone with the Lord? I can remember when I was when I first saved and people talked about having long periods of time just alone with the Lord. What do you do? I, I tell people all the time, I, I, uh, I, these are the things that I do. I just praise Him. I worship Him. I thank Him. And I love Him. That's what you do. You just, you just. here's what you do, I, and I, I, I've shown you this before, but the Bible tells us that we're to worship the Lord, and the word worship means to bow down before. Every day, I, I practice this, every day I put my face to the ground, and I, it's, this is what it means to worship. Worship isn't this, worship isn't praise, worship isn't thanks, worship is, means to bow down. That's what the word means in the Bible, in the, in the Hebrew and in uh, the New Testament. The Bible says, remember the, uh, the wise men that came to Jesus, the Bible says they, they bowed down and they worshiped him. When God says in the Old Testament, we're to humble ourselves and pray, this is what it means. This is a position of servitude. This is a position of submission. It's a position that says, You're the master and I'm the servant. And I just bow before you. And I want you to know that I, I want to do whatever you want me to do. You don't have to stay down there for a half an hour. You don't have to stay down there for five minutes. But you should bow before him and tell him that, and just tell him, let him know, I am yours. I'm, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. If you're physically able, to bow before the Lord. It, uh, oftentimes I don't bow. I, I lay down on my belly. In fact, I put a pillow under my belly and I, and I just lay down and I just say, Lord, I just want to tell you I worship you. I fall down before you to worship you. We should worship him every day. We should praise him. The Bible says to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Try this. Try, it'll make your day. Just bow, be- just bow before Him or fall down before Him and just sing songs to Him about how wonderful He is. Tell Him how wonderful He is. Praise Him. Take some of these songs. The songs that we sing on Sunday morning, the praise songs about you are, you're, you're great, You're wonderful, You're a magnificent God. They're wonderful. Sing them to Him when there's nobody else around, no human beings around. It's an amazing thing to just tell Him how wonderful he is. And then thank him. Thank him for anything. Thank him for your wife. Thank him for your husband. Thank him for your children. Thank him for the things that you were complaining about yesterday. Say, Lord, thank you. I was grumpy yesterday, but God, you gave me what you've given me. I was complaining about the car because it broke down, but God, thank you that I have a car. Thank you for what you've done. We get so gripey and complaining and grumbly about how sick we are. Thank him that you can breathe. If you can do this, you have something to thank the Lord for. There are many people on this planet that would love to be able to do this. And you can Then thank the Lord. Thank him. Worship him. Praise him. Confess your sin to him. I I tell people this all the time. Confess your sin. If you can't think of anything to confess, ask your wife. She'll tell you what you should confess. Confess your sin to him and then tell him you love him. I love you, Lord Jesus. Isn't it amazing that God would care whether or not I love him? God knows the worm that Dave Tice is. God wants me to, God wants me to say I love you. And so I tell him I love him. It's not difficult. To spend time alone with Jesus. There, were, there was a time they were just going to be alone with Jesus. And they Jesus said, okay, we've been ministering to all these people, and I told you to shine this light, but I'm going to teach you what it means to shine in the darkness. So let's get in this boat and let's go. And they said, we're going to be alone with Jesus? Yeah, let's get in the boat. It's just us and Jesus. And they get in the boat. There's a time to be alone with Jesus. Now, by the way, there's a time to not be alone with Jesus. We we should get alone with Jesus to get renewed and get re-energized for one reason, so that we can go out and face the storm. Now, which brings us this. Oh, this is very important. Uh, This really is important. I love this statement. It says, let us pass over to the other side. And when they, they, they sent away the multitudes, they took him. Listen to this statement. Even as he was in the ship. They took Jesus, not the way they wanted him. The, the Bible says they took Jesus as he was. I, this is sort of a little off of what the rest of this message is about, but I think it's very, very important that, that we take Jesus for who he is. That we don't try to make Jesus into something that he is not. We ought to take Jesus for who he is. Some people today make Jesus into their own image. Uh, my mentor used to say that some people make Jesus into a big cop with a big stick waiting for anybody to get out of line so he can whop them one. That is just, we make him, we make him, some make him into a senile old grandpa who will look over whatever you do. Oh, it's okay, Justin. God loves you. It's okay. Oh, you did what? Oh, you shot your wife? It's okay. God loves you. Your wife might not, but God loves you. The, the, I mean, we make God into this great big forgiving teddy bear who's never going to judge anybody we make Jesus into who we want him to be we know who Jesus is because we we can see him in scripture he is a faithful father he's a faithful father and you say how do you know that because when the, the disciples said to Jesus show us the father and it'll suffice us he said if you've seen me you've seen the father how sayest thou then show us the father don't you know who I am I am the father I'm the father personified I am him so he's a faithful father he's not somebody he's somebody who and by the way let me say this God wants you to address him as father this is so important I think it would be so terrible if my children came up to me and said uh, Mr. Tice uh, could, could I talk to you Mr. Tice oh thou great pastor uh, could, I, could I speak to you Here's what my, I want my kids to do. I want my kids to say "Daddy." I want my kids to say "Hey, Dad." Now that they're older, but my daughters, whenever they want something, they say "Daddy," uh, and, and I know they're going to be. I'm going to be a "Daddy." Can I talk? Yeah, that means I'm going to have to be doing something very quick. And my grandkids got picked up like right on that. Uh, they know uh, "Grandpa," "Grandpa." They don't come up and say uh, "Pastor Tice. Could, could we request something? Um, I would have to slap them or something, you know. Um, the, uh, but when, when you're, ki- when you, I want my children to address me with the affectionate term of dad, daddy. God wants us, to, God, the Bible says, puts within us the spirit of Abba, Father. Uh, I think it's, I think God, wa- and, he, and, he, and Jesus said, when you come to, when you come to to pray, they said, tell us what to say when we pray. And and Jesus said, When you pray, say our father. He wants you to know he is your father, and he wants to be addressed as father. The word Abba means daddy. He wants you to come to him as a child and his daddy, and he wants you to recognize him as father. I never pray. Dear God, I always pray, Father. Sometimes I say, Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father. But He he wants, uh, Jesus told us, come to our Father. Try try learning to out loud address God as Father. Father, I want you to know I love you. Father, I want to tell you I'm really hurting right now. Father, Address him as your father, recognizing he's your father and that he wants, you to, he wants you to address him as father. Well, he said, Jesus said, pray, our father. Jesus is a faithful father. Not only that, he's a big brother. It's a wonderful thing to have a big brother. He's a big brother that's there with you to, to, uh, to weather whatever storm you're going through. He's there as the big brother. I think in this story, he acts as the big brother. He's a big brother. He's there, and it's a wonderful thing. Now, you may have a situation where your big brother wasn't quite the brother that you would want to have, or you. Or, but there's there's somebody that you look to as a big brother, and I'm telling you, he's there. He's there. Jesus is a just God. He is a just God. He's going to deal with sin. He's going to deal with it. People say, how can a a loving God throw somebody into hell? Because he's not just a loving God, he is a just God. He he, he, He must obey the law that he established. If he says the wages of sin is death, if he says if you sin, you must die spiritually, If he says that, then somebody has to die for your sin. And that's what God's word said. That's why Jesus became a man. That's why God became a man, because his justice demanded that sin be paid for. But he loves us. He is such a loving God. He didn't want us to pay for our own sin, so he came as our substitute and died in our place to pay for our sin. That is why we say we will never deserve to go to heaven, but we can know we're going to heaven because our sins are that we've committed have been paid for by Jesus so we don't have to pay for them ourselves. He is a just God that demands that sin be paid for. So He's a loving God, so he paid for our sin himself. And then, now he says, all you have to do to get to heaven is ask me to give you eternal life. I died to give it to you, but you have to want it. Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on anyone. He says, if you want to go to heaven, ask me and I'll give you eternal life. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So God is a just God. The way you get to heaven is by coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you're God. I believe you died for me. You were buried. You rose from the dead for me. And I receive what you did for me. I'm not going to trust myself to get myself to heaven anymore. That's why, by the way, it's impossible for you to ever lose your salvation. Because you did nothing to get it. You did nothing to earn it. Therefore, you can do nothing to lose it. Salvation is God giving you something that is eternal that you don't deserve and you never will deserve. He gives you eternal life. You go to heaven, not because you stayed good. but You go to heaven because at the moment you asked him for eternal life, he gave you something that could never be taken away. If your life is not eternal, then God is a liar. And he's an Indian giver. So, God, God is a, Jesus is a faithful father. He's a loyal big brother. He's a just God. He's a, he is a God that follows the law. He does what the law says. Remember this, that Jesus does not excuse sin. You say, well, then does Christ, do Christians get away with sin? No, the Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Jesus said to the person that, that, um, that was caught in sin, he said, now go and sin no more. You're delivered from sin, and you go and sin no more. So take Jesus for who he is. They said, they, said, the, they said, let's get in the boat. And the Bible says they took Jesus as he was. Now, this gets to the bottom line of this evening's message. There are times when Jesus will lead you into a storm. That's exactly where they went. He, uh, they, the Bible says, And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat upon, uh, into the ship, so that it was now full. He was, notice this, he was aware of the storm. He knew the storm was coming. I, that's so important. Whatever you're facing, he knows about it, and he knew about it before you got there. So, what does he want? You need to understand that he's not frightened by the storm. The storm might frighten you. It doesn't frighten him. My mother, or my wife, grew up in a... Her, her dad left their home when, he was, when she was five years old. And, so, and her mother was scared to death whenever storms came by. And storms come by in Pennsylvania like we had out here. Uh, with uh, the thunder and the lightning and the fly. that happens in Pennsylvania like uh, every other day, and uh, so her, her mother, uh, you, if you're from the, if you know anything about the Northeast, if you've been, you you know what that's like. I mean, there's just storms and these these big. I mean, boom boom! I like right out the door, and the lightning goes boom. Well, her mother was scared to death of storms, but she didn't want her daughter and her sons to be afraid of storms. So anytime a storm would come, she would always say, oh, I love storms. Oh, you can see God in the storms so that her children wouldn't be frightened. Now my wife says, and she means it, oh i love it when it storms i just love it when it storms i can be driving down the road and hurricane winds and uh, are blowing down and the motorhome is going back and forth and my wife says oh david i love storms and i say god bless you he's not frightened by the storms he is waiting in the storm now listen for you to call on him What's he waiting for? Why is he down? Why is he laying with his head on the pillow? He's just waiting for you to wake him up. He's just waiting for you. I love the story of Stan Mitchell being uh, stuck in Green River, Utah, because I love the ending of the story. He, got, he, he finally got hauled to a place. They they charged him all, They They messed his car up. They messed his Fifth wheel up, they messed everything up. They charged him all sorts of thousands of dollars, and I'm not exaggerating. Like it was like 10 or 12 or 13 thousand dollars, something. Well, almost 15 thousand dollars. And man, he's out. I mean, this is a storm. 15 thousand dollars is a storm. Can you say amen to that? I don't want that storm. If you don't want that storm, say amen. Okay, so none of us want that storm. And, and you think, wow, why did God put him through that? I'll tell, you, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the end of the story. The end of the story is, he gets back home, he writes a letter to the people uh, about, about the fact that he, it didn't go well, and, and the, the owner of the, of the company that, that messed his whole thing up, and they wrote him a check for the entire amount, and God took care of him in the middle of the storm. That's an amazing thing. I mean, you, when you're in the middle of a storm, you're thinking, why are you doing this? Here's, here's why. God, and by the way, I, would, I called Stan. I prayed for you every day during that. And I, and, and, and I would say, hey, I would text him and say, I'm still praying for you. He said, good, because I need it. And I'm still praying too. God wants you to call on him. God wants you to call on him. Every once in a while, I hear people uh, sing songs that, hey, in fact, I, I, this song, I really love it by Bill Gaither about, Lord, I, I just want to thank you today. I'm not going to ask you for anything. That's nice, but God wants us to ask him for things. God puts us in storms so that we'll wake him up, uh, and he's not awake, I mean asleep, but, but God wants us to come to him. He, I want you to note that he did nothing he did nothing. The water is filling up in the boat, and he did nothing until they called on him. He cares about you in the storm. They, the first, in fact, the first thing they said, Lord, Master, care us not that we're going to perish. We're going to die. Don't you care, God, that we're going to die? No, if they died, he would have gone down in the boat too. Yeah, he cares. He cares. He cares in the storm, but here's the deal. In verse 39, he can handle it. He arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. That's a story Christians know, but that's an amazing thing. He stood up and he said, Peace, be still. He can handle the storm. Whatever it is you're going through, Whatever it is, you say, I don't understand. Why am I having to wait all this time for this thing to happen? Why are, we go- why, why are all these delays taking place? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? Here's why. Because God wants you to know that he can handle the storm. And he also wants you to know this, you can't handle it. And he lets you go through the storm so that you'll call on him and say, Lord, would you please handle this? See, Ivy, when you call on him in the midst of the storm, here's what it does. It says, I trust, I believe you. I believe you can take care of this. And it brings glory and honor to him. You say, well, how come the storm keeps going on and on and on? Because God is using you in a spiritual realm to show to the angels in heaven that there's somebody that really still trusts me on that planet. The storm is going strong, and yet God, and yet that person just keeps asking and keeps asking. And I'm telling you this. Jesus said, if you keep on asking, you shall receive, and you keep on seeking, and you shall find, and if you keep on knocking, the door will be opened. He can handle the storm. The last point is this. God wants you to trust him. God wants you to trust him. He said, listen, why are you so fearful? Remember this, that fear is the opposite of faith. Remember, you serve God. Listen, remember this. You serve God that controls nature. And if he controls nature, he can control Joe Biden. And if he can control nature, he can control the Chinese that are taking over our nation. And if he controls nature, then he can control what's going on in Korea. And if he controls nature, he can, he can take control of the LGBTQ. And if he can control nature, he can take care of Washington, D.C. And if he can control nature, he can take care of Carson City. And if he can control nature, he can take care of COVID. And if he can control nature, whatever it is that you're facing, he can control. Say amen to that. Let's say this together. God is in control. Let's say it. God is in control. And that's the point. And listen, in the midst of this, God wants us, by faith, whatever we go through, to keep producing and shining the light. They're going to get out of the boat, after being saved from this horrible storm, and they're going to run directly in to the face of, of a man that has a legion of demons living inside of him. And Jesus is going to show him he's even in control of the demons. We serve a God that's in control. If you don't know Jesus, ask him to save you tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth that is in this passage of Scripture. Thank you for teaching your disciples, and thank you that we can learn from them. Help us to take the truth and help us to live it Ourselves, And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.